Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Medicus. My name is Aaron, and I am joined today with Raza once again. Today, we are incredibly excited to present our second installment in our social media and medicine series. Please take a listen to our first episode with Dr. Eric Burnett. Today, we are joined by Dr. Austin Chang. Dr. Austin Chang graduated medical school from the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He is currently a gastroenterology physician at the Jefferson University Hospital, and he is a verified TikToker who is well known for his humorous and educational TikToks. Thank you for your time, Dr. Chang. We are incredibly excited to have you here to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm also excited too. Would you be able to do a little extra introduction of yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, So I actually grew up in Southern California, moved to Taiwan when I was 10 years old, and then I moved back for college, went to Duke for undergrad, med school, as you mentioned, at Columbia, uh, residency in medicine, also at Columbia. So I stayed there. And then I did my gastroenterology fellowship uh, at Brigham and Women's Hospital uh, in Boston. Um, During that three-year GI fellowship period, also did another fellowship in bariatric endoscopy, got my master's in public health from the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, and then completed my training by doing another year in advanced endoscopy here in Philadelphia at Jefferson, where I ended up staying to be on faculty. So as you described, I'm a gastroenterologist here. Um, again, kind of my niche area is advanced in bariatric endoscopy. I'm the director of the endoscopic bariatric program here. And I'm also the chief medical social media officer for Jefferson Health, our 14 hospital health system. And I also founded the Association for Healthcare Social Media, which I think might be relevant to today's podcast. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So hearing about your journey just now, it sounds like you really enjoy school and training. Um, And so as you mentioned, you know, you are triple board certified in internal medicine, gastroenterology and obesity medicine. So can you briefly tell us about what led you to pursue medicine in general and these specialties specifically? Yeah. So for internal medicine, I mean, I really entered med school with an open mind. I thought that whatever could come my way potentially might be something I'd be interested in. Um, there are a couple of physicians in my family. So that, you know, I've had a little bit of exposure going into med school. My cousin is a plastic surgeon. Um, I have another cousin who's an ophthalmologist. So it was kind of skewed towards surgical subspecialties. And, um, and those were things that I certainly explored earlier on in med school. But when I came across the residents I worked with from my medicine rotation, I really enjoyed the way they thought about patients and kind of put information together. And, um, and so that's what drove me into internal medicine initially. And I thought I was going to pursue palm critical care and then interventional cardiology. But ultimately when I dug a little bit deeper, found that gastroenterology was really, um, what suited all my different interests. I really enjoyed the variety. I enjoyed the procedural aspect, the innovation behind all the procedures as well. And the people really, I think the personality seemed to jive with me the most. And that's what drove me into uh, gastroenterology. And then once I was there, I learned more about advanced endoscopy and bariatric endoscopy. And I think that was sort of a byproduct of where I trained because uh, my mentor was sort of the pioneer 
behind bariatric endoscopy. And of course, with that, you know, I had an interest in um, obesity medicine, knowing that it's such a big issue here in our country. Um, so that's kind of what led me down that path as well. It's really interesting because as med students, as a first year medical student myself, we hear all the time about gut microbiome, fecal transplants, and the really cool research that's going on in gastroenterology. So it's really awesome to hear your motivations for going into that field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's th- those are some things that you brought up a great point because there's a lot of hot topics in GI. And once I sort of you know, I had really zero uh, exposure to GI going into med school. And it wasn't until I was further along that I, you know, was exposed to it all. So I made my decision quite late to apply to GI. That was my second year of residency, basically. And as you can tell, it was a long training process. It was a seven year, seven years tacked on to med school, but it really goes by very quickly (laughs) and it doesn't feel like that long. (laughs) Well, we would be remiss not to talk about your social media, since that is the main topic of today. You are, like I said earlier, a verified TikToker. So what made you begin to utilize social media professionally? So early on in my training, I recognized that patients were not getting their medical information from the brief encounters they were having with me in the clinical setting. And so I really tried to learn more about where that information was coming from. And I started off with exploring conventional media. So I spent some time at ABC News trying to learn how the medical news was being vetted because I was curious to know, you know, who gets to decide what shows up on your evening news and, you know, who's fact-checking all this. So in that process of uh, spending time there, they were holding weekly Twitter chats around various health topics. And that's when I made the conscious decision to go into Twitter first. And this was years ago, probably like eight years ago at this point. Um, And I've always been an avid fan of social media. You know, I, Facebook came out my freshman year in college, so that kind of dates me, but, (laughs) but um, that really, you know, I've always just been an active user of these platforms. So I'm just made the conscious decision to say that, okay, I'm going to switch over to Twitter, switch over to a professional presence on Twitter. And, but then started running into barriers because I was one of very, very few GI people at the time, I'd say maybe one of five and, um, you know, faced a lot of ridicule at the beginning. And then even from my own institution, I tried to set up a Twitter account for our division and that didn't go so well. So I tried to justify my time on social media by doing research and taking social media data and kind of exploring that. And as the years went by, I started helping our professional societies out with their social media presence more and more people got on the platforms. I then switched over to Instagram and focused on Instagram for a bit and then gradually uh, went on YouTube and TikTok, as you mentioned. And um, and that's really how this whole thing went down. <laughs> so you've been in, in social media for a while now. It's not some amazing overnight sensation that kind of happened. It's been something a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there are a lot of le- lessons learned along the way. And especially, you know, when you mentioned Twitter and how you started on Twitter a while back, I feel like back then Twitter wasn't really used much professionally. Like now we're all about like, oh, med Twitter. And this is the way to like connect with people professionally. But back then it was like LinkedIn and Twitter was basically Facebook. And so I can see how people could maybe have some pushback to you trying to utilize it professionally. Yeah. I mean, everyone thought that it was kind of a waste of time. You know, they just thought this was 
they associated social media with selfies and, you know, that sort of personal use, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess people didn't really see the potential, um, especially when it came to uh, communicating with our patients. I think that's the that's the main thing. I mean, there's a lot of obvious, obviously like networking and, and communication within our field, but then the next step is really utilizing it to connect with patients and the general public. And I think this past year has been a huge, you know, awakening, I think, for a lot of people to notice that social media really can play into um, public opinion and public health. Yeah, most definitely. So like you just said, social media has a really big impact on medical perception, on the public perception of medicine. And you've made a few TikToks addressing medical misinformation at the beginning of this year. Um, we've spoken a little bit about social media and its place within medicine, but why is it important for you or physicians in general to address these types of misinformation and to put out videos and content like this? I mean, I think that there's no one better to be talking about these subjects than those of us who are actually trained in these areas. And, um, you know, not that there, there are definitely people out there who are doing a great job at health messaging who aren't trained in these areas, but you know, sometimes things can get lost in translation and there's, there might be nuance and interpretation to it that not everyone outside of healthcare has that context to kind of inform them. So, um, so I, you know, that's why I think it's important for us to be on these platforms and, you know, there's different ways to go about it. I think that the approach I take is really to also just build a relationship with folks in the general public in that, it's not just lecturing them, but also showing that, hey, I'm human too. And, and you know, we're not all robotic and unapproachable or intimidating. Because I think that a lot of people have that perception of physicians, especially. Um, and, you know, I think that there have been studies that have shown that trust in healthcare is at an all-time low. And to be able to clarify some of these misperceptions and, you know, the nuances behind the sound bites that you hear in the media, I think is really important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you mentioned, you know, that you serve as uh, the first chief medical social uh, media officer at large, which is such a interesting title to have. I've never, you know, in doing research about you. Um, yeah, I came across that. I'm like, this is really interesting. And it's at a large academic medical center. So what exactly does this position entail? And why do you think it's important for institutions to have such a position? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think that uh, this position came about simply because I have followers, which is couldn't be further from further tr- from the truth. I think that part of my perspective here, in terms of what I can offer, is having a, a really good grasp on the landscape of social media across multiple different platforms. Um, also helping out with the professional societies and kind of learning along the way, all the different lessons that have to be learned, all the missteps that have been taken, not only by myself, but by others, because I think that it's really challenging to kind of put ourselves out there, but really the role is to help other clinicians uh, get on social media and be a liaison between the clinicians and the media relations team, because I think that there's too much of a disconnect at this moment, you know, and the media relations team shouldn't be operating alone. We can definitely help them out um, with their efforts and kind of sometimes even be a face for the institution. So it's not so, you know, impersonal, Um, but I help out with campaigns and 
We also help shape the social media policy because, you know, the needle is always moving and, and policies need to be updated. You know, it's interesting to see how some guidelines a couple of years ago were recommending separating the professional and the personal social media presence. And while that sometimes is a good approach and sometimes, you know, isn't a bad idea, but I think that it isn't necessary. And I think in some ways myself, I don't do that. I like to combine the two because I feel that having a, a bit of personality in there is a good thing. And you just recently just posted about, you know, your grandmother, or you posted about getting some flowers on TikTok. And I think it really is those moments where you humanize yourself and make yourself relatable to people. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why people and your followers are really excited about all the content that you bring and deliver. Oh, so, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I just try to do what feels right. I, I think, you know, some people have a, a true strategy in the content that they're putting out there, but the way that I like to use TikTok, I know that there are ways to maximize your reach, but I really feel that for me, I like to do all the variety of different things that people do on there. You know, I don't want to keep it just one note. I like to share moments in my life. I like to do the dance trends and the skits and everything else that people do. And sometimes, you know, get down to business and really talk about important social justice issues and, and not necessarily make it a humor thing. So yeah, I'd like to vary it up and keep it interesting. And, and I feel like I have a different approach for every platform, you know, depending on who I sense the audience is. But yeah, I do like to kind of show who I am a little bit and not just make it all about facts. And show off the dance moves a little bit too. <laughs> Which I I don't know if anyone knew this, but I really didn't dance, especially not in public for sure, you know, before before TikTok. So this is all just, you know, I was, I actually, I mean, a lot of it is cringeworthy. I'm not going to lie. But um, when I first started out, I just remember thinking, I guess I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I hope no one sees, but if people see, fine. And then it kind of became a thing. <laughs> That's awesome. So organic. Yeah. <laughs> As a follow-up to the conversation we were having a little bit earlier, in addition to being the chief medical stu- social media officer, you're also the founding president of the Association for Healthcare Social Media. Could you tell us a little bit about this organization, its goals, and your inspiration for creating it? Yeah, so this is the first 501c3 nonprofit professional society devoted to health, uh, healthcare, social media, specifically in helping health professionals get on social media. And to be honest with you, originally the motivation behind it was, you know, kind of to preserve the integrity of online information and and get more health professionals online to put out accurate information. And that said, I think that it was difficult to kind of just share our own experiences. And, you know, this past year, the social media platforms have evolved so rapidly and there's so many new features constantly, you know, updates here and there. So what has ended up happening and with the pandemic coinciding, I think that the platforms have recognized the importance of health professionals. And so we've been able to develop some really productive partnerships where the platforms will directly provide courses and resources to us to help us guide to help guide us in how to use our platforms more effectively. So, you know, YouTube, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Pinterest, you know, some of these platforms have um, reached out to us to, you know, collaborate and um, it's been really helpful. You know, our in the in the near future we have a 
a dedicated YouTube course, for instance, on a new feature called YouTube Shorts. They're, they're going into the whole short form video format. And we want to know how to use it best because we want to be able to reach people more effectively and um, and be early adopters of many as many of us have been. And so I think that that's really we, where we can be most valuable. And sometimes it's also great to just have a safe space for many of us to just have a conversation about how to put out some messaging about certain sensitive health topics. And, you know, approaching this on social media is different than just having a conversation in person, I think, just because we have to be so much more aware of all the potential feedback that we could be getting. And again, I think the founders of this organization, many of us have had just um, an immense amount of experience having been on these platforms for years. And some of us have faced different challenges along the way. And we'd like to share that with everyone because there's a lot of you know pitfalls there and not to deter anyone from being on social media, but just to be aware that cancel culture is real. And, um, and there are a lot of personal safety issues to be aware of and things about you know how to approach patients the right way on social media that we all need to be careful and mindful of. That organization sounds absolutely amazing. And the fact that it's, you know, essentially training doctors to use social media, because I guarantee you that Bob down the street who watches conspiracy theories knows all the latest and greatest in, you know, social media technology. Like you brought up this YouTube shorts. I've never heard of this. Right. And you would think like, oh, yeah, like all of us our age would be all up to date on that. But no. um, And especially, you know, as working professionals, it's really hard to you know, I mean, yes, you stay up to date on the literature and how to treat your patients. You can't necessarily stay up to date on all the new social media technologies. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, having adopted these platforms along the way myself, I still struggle with some of the platform features. You know, the whole process of creating a YouTube video and editing it and creating the thumbnail and, you know, how to maximize watch time. Like these are all things that most people don't think about, you know, you want people go use YouTube and watch these videos, but don't realize that those who are really devoted to developing a YouTube presence, put so much thought into every video that they make to make sure that it can reach as many people as possible and to optimize its you know, presence on uh, within the algorithm of the platform. There's just a lot more science behind it than I think most people realize. Yeah, most definitely. And then the other point that you hit was discussion of sensitive topics. And so you are actually one of the few bariatric endoscopy um, and advanced endoscopy dual train gastroenterologists in the world, in the entire world. Uh, which for those that are less familiar with the medical terminology means that you offer less invasive weight loss procedures. So weight and weight loss can be really tricky. I know like, especially as a female, you know, like we always, you know, try and steer away of these topics. And so it can be really hard to discuss, I think on social media, because you don't want to fat chain people or make them feel less than because of their bodies, but at the same time, you want to promote health. So how do you walk that fine line of promoting health while steering clear of body shaming? Yeah, that's a really tough question because I think that there's there's no right answer and often it's situation dependent. And you know, I've learned certain lessons along the way that certain things that I encounter in the clinical setting that my patients are actively looking for in terms of resources and information, 
not everyone is receptive to out there and could potentially be triggering to certain groups of people. And I mean, I also recognize the fact that not uh, content isn't necessarily made for specific groups of people out there either. And what might be triggering for one group may actually be really helpful and life-saving for another. And, um, and, and I think that I, it certainly has made me um, cognizant of needing to be more upfront about what I'm going to be talk about, talking about, putting trigger warnings, things like that, and kind of anticipating that type of feedback, I, I would say. Um, so I don't think that I necessarily shy away from those topics. I think I'm just more mindful of how I approach it. And, um, and yeah, that, those are the types of things that I think those of us who have gotten that sort of feedback can share with others. Um, I wouldn't have known that had it not been from some really difficult situations, you know, pieces of content that I've put out in the past that have gotten not so great feedback and, and I've learned from it, you know, and hopefully others can see that as well. I know that navigating the healthcare system, especially on a public platform like social media, is is incredibly difficult. And you put out a lot of GI content about your practice, about your specialty, about your little niche within medicine. I know we talked about how the YouTube algorithm or the algorithms of these social media platforms can make it difficult and, and a little bit more of a science that people realize. What are some other challenges, whether that be consistency of posting, thinking up of these creative ideas, HIPAA with some of these patients, what managing your clinical hours? There's so many challenges and I think a lot of things that you have to juggle as a, as a professional and as a physician. What are some other challenges that listeners may need to consider if they want to start going into this med-influencer TikTok, Instagram type of field? Yeah, I mean, I, you pretty much touched on many of the key ones. I would say, you know, making always thinking about having the patient at the center of what you're doing is really important because whether it's protecting patient privacy or respecting kind of being being um, sensitive to uh, certain issues that patients patients might not receive quite as well, and just being respectful of patients. I mean, these are all things that are you know really key. And also just to the, on the other hand, if I can group into two categories, one is patients, but also like our professional presence on there and maintaining professionalism is a big um, deal. And that's a big umbrella term, but I think that social media interactions are ultimately an extension of our usual day-to-day real life conversations. And it's easy for the internet to feel like a virtual space and not real, but it's very much real. And there are real life ramifications to that sort of communication, even if it's in DMs or private messages, which aren't really private, right? Like, you know, I think people often forget that too. And that's because, you know, again, these are experiences that I've learned myself, um, having had strange interactions with certain people and trainees and other colleagues on social media and having um, my own conversations be screenshot and put out there in public, you know, with certain groups, like some, some anti-vaccine groups out there have done that. And, um, and also, you know, being aware of just really, I think, uh, not necessarily applicable to health professionals specifically, but just being mindful of our own personal safety. You know, when you're putting your geolocation on there and your, um, the timestamp with where, you know, where you at, where you're at, um, you know, at a certain moment, I think that can be, that can invite some unwanted attention sometimes. <laughs> so 
you know, these are all things that we've learned along the way. And then, like you said, kind of the consistency and the mental health toll that it takes to just constantly want to put out more content. And sometimes you get caught up in the vanity metrics of followers and likes. And it's, there are still moments where I'm very much affected by that. But I, at least now I feel like, you know, after years of doing this, that I'm able to recognize that, okay, this is not productive. And um, I just need to step away, take a step back and kind of reset. I think the term you use of vanity metrics is a really good way to describe that. Because even as non-social media people, the metrics of followers, the metrics of how many likes that I get on that new picture I posted of my dog or of me at the beach or whatever, it, it weighs on you. If I post the picture on Instagram to just my friends, I'm a private account, just the people who I know are following me. But if I don't get a ton of likes, I, I sit there and I'm like, did I not smile right? Am I just ugly in this picture? Is it? And I, I can't imagine what it would be like on a, on a larger scale, like what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that sometimes, especially the type of content that we put out there, especially if we spend a lot of time thinking about like, this is an important subject and I'm really going to take the time to be careful about how I present it. And then you put it out there to the world and you don't get the response that you want. I, I think it can be, it can be tough. And, um, and I've had those moments where I've just had to step away and sometimes take months off of, you know, YouTube, for instance, I, I felt like there was a point where I wasn't getting the response that I was seeking or expecting. But now I've gotten to a point where I'm sort of doing it on my own terms at my own pace. And it just makes it so much more enjoyable, so much more authentic. I feel like I post when I have something to say, and I don't post when I don't have anything meaningful to add. And, um, and, you know, and that's, those are the types of posts that I appreciate too, when there's a new perspective and not necessarily something that I'm hearing over and over again. And, and, you know, it's, it's a careful balance because there are certain topics and messages that we all want to put out there at the same time and just maximize that sort of output, um, you know, take vaccinations for instance, but I, I also, uh, as somebody who also experienced fatigue from all of this, I get it when too much of that can be overwhelming to some people. So I don't want to add to the noise. But yeah, it's it definitely takes a toll. <laughs> and talking about the content, how do you develop that content? What strategies are you using to condense such complex four years of medical school, seven years of residency plus fellowship? How do you how do you take all those years of experience and condense it into these short one minute dance videos with TikTok trends or otherwise? Oh, it really depends on what the who the intended audience is. You know, certain things I put out there, I think are more geared towards the general public. Some things I think are more for my colleagues. And some of these things are just more for my own edification. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I, I don't want to get into too much of the technical sometimes because I feel like that's just not understandable by anybody unless it's specifically, you know, if it's too niche down, it's just not generalizable enough. And certain messages I want it's a balance again of trying to how is it relatable to more people but how do i get a important message across and i think you know one of the easy tips i guess is just to eliminate medical jargon as much as possible and i mean i feel like as somebody who has been you know as junior faculty i've been able to learn that over the years and trying to explain certain concepts to trainees 
so as not to, you know, confuse them or be too technical and get lost in the weeds because I've been there before. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Even now, when I watch some something about, you know, related to medicine, if it gets too much into the words, I'm just like, oh, there goes, you know, in one ear and out the other yeah. without any processing in between. So, yeah. So another topic aside from, you know, medicine that you've touched on is diversity in medicine. And you've spoken about empowering women physicians and harmful legislation surrounding the LGBTQ um, community and their access to care. Why has it been important for you to address many of these topics? I mean, I think that it's important because it affects our patients. It affects my colleagues. I see it affect my colleagues. I really truly believe in equity and, and I don't see why we're not there yet, you know, and, and, you know, I think it depends on which subject we're talking about. I mean, there's gender equity, there's, you know, LGBTQ issues, like you said, legislation around things that can affect our patients. And, and I I think that that's, that's the main thing is just that um, I see it all around me and, and I see injustice and I feel like it's my, responsibility to lend my support to that. And as someone who's a a minority as well, I feel like I, you know, face some of this as in the workplace and, um, you know, with the recent kind of news about Asian American uh, related events, I certainly can relate to that as well. So, you know, I feel like I just want to be able to share my support for these issues. As an Asian American myself, I think the recent rise in Asian Asian American hate crime has often made me feel really helpless sometimes. I'm worried about my family, about myself, my friends, my community. And I don't have the platform that you have, obviously, but you've really been able to utilize your platform and you've made a few videos about Asian American hate. Uh, I guess my question is more along the lines of what has been your perspective of the past few months that I think has been pretty difficult for the Asian American community? And how can we as medical students really effectively make change when we can often feel not really important in the grand scheme of things? You know, my perspective is that this is, you know, I'm glad that it's receiving attention now, but this is nothing new, just like a lot of the other racial injustice that has been covered over the past year or several years. And Um, So I'm glad that it's kind of coming to the forefront. Um, And truthfully, uh, it's funny because I just a couple of days ago had my 10 year reunion, my med school graduation reunion. And we got together with our uh, Dean of Student Affairs at at the time. And she was saying that from her observation of med med students now, there's just so much more awareness around these topics and advocacy and just, you know, students kind of rising to the occasion and speaking out about these issues. And I I see it here as well, you know, and that's great because these are topics that as much as I felt like we were progressive when I was in med school, just were not actively discussed. Um, And I'm glad that there's a conversation going on and that what might seem like being in a position that is a bit helpless at the moment as students, you're going to very soon be out there practicing and being able to kind of affect change, you know, in a more tangible way. So I think with time, 
this is all going to, you know, get better. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And I think getting back to social media, I mean, I've heard this a lot that kind of what you said, all of this has been happening this whole time. It's just people have been ignorant of it. And it's really social media and like news networks have to have put it right in front of our faces and we can't ignore it. Right. Anyone can take out their flip phone or whatever, I guess not a flip phone anymore, <laughs> but um, you know, their iPhone and um, record anything that they see any of these injustices. And I think, you know, there's been like some debate about like whether that's good or bad, but I think it's really important for us to see it so that we can address it and no longer ignore it. Yeah. I think it's going to take time because you know, we can all talk about this, but there needs to be action and what, you know, the way things work and the way things change is really for people from these communities to be in leadership roles. And that takes policy change. And, you know, um, hopefully, you know, institutions like ours, there's been active measures to try to improve upon that. So hopefully, yeah, over time, there will actually be people in positions to change, you know, to, to actually affect change in this way. Kind of moving off the topic of, of diversity and, and minorities and social justice, but I know a lot of our listeners are pre-medical students and medical students, as well as maybe some physicians, residents, if you're there, high. <laughs> Do you have any advice for our listeners on how to get started for those who might be interested in joining this new budding social media sector of medicine? I think just being mindful that, again, this is an extension of your kind of real life interaction and to always be mindful of your role as a health professional and what it means to patients. I think it's, you know, we spend so much time through this whole training process and um, and we don't want to forget that, you know, we've learned so much and, and that we've, you know, interacted with patients in real life and you don't want to kind of squander all that away by cracking a joke at the expense of patients online. You know, I think I see that a lot. And the other thing is that, you know, just take your time. There's no rush. I think there's so much out there in terms of social media that there's often an urge to just jump in and try to do everything all at once. And that's, it's very difficult because this is, there are full-time jobs devoted to social media, right? There's social media managers out there. And, and so we're kind of volunteering our time doing this in some ways. And that's something that our organization is working on is hopefully in the future, we can kind of help incentivize social media activity somehow, because it's not just about academic publications, but public health communication. But either way, I think that, um, yeah, taking your time and, you know, observing as much as engaging is important because it's not all about just like putting stuff out there. And, you know, many of us who are on social media actively are there because we want to be accessible and we want to help. So it doesn't hurt to reach out and try to, you know, ask questions and, and see, you know, how, um, especially those in the specific field, you know, networking with others and, and just reaching out and asking Know how to go about this. And that's how we reached out to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you're on basically every social media platform under the sun. Do you think that there is a best social media platform for medical students and residents to really further their career? 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's that last point that you made is really important. Like in terms of furthering your career, there may be some platforms better than others. You know, we all have different purposes that drive us onto social media, whether it's to educate or to advocate. And if it's for the purpose of, you know, networking and really, especially from a student's perspective, getting in touch with potential mentors or staying, um, you know, on top of the latest and greatest in that the field. I would say at this point, it's probably Twitter just because of the sheer number of health professionals on there and, and what fields are represented on, on that platform. But that might all change in a couple of years. You know, we might see there are plenty of trainees right now active on Instagram and other platforms. But once those trainees become, you know, attendings, then they'll be in a position to help mentor and guide and um, do all that as well. So I think that Twitter at the moment, but that could certainly change in the future. Yeah. I mean, and especially, you know, as things change, I mean, I heard um, lots of anecdotes with this, you know, pandemic year and residency matches, how people were able to, students were able to connect with residencies on Twitter and really kind of showcase themselves. But like you said, you know, it's constantly evolving. So you never know what the new best thing is, I guess. Yeah. One more point that I want to make is that just don't get lost in social media. You know, ultimately, you you're, you have to still develop your craft because without that, you don't have what there is to share like on social media. So, you know, I think that there is just be mindful of that because there's a lot of, you know, um, fun stuff on social media and people who are far out in their careers and um, make it look easy. But, you know, as a student, I know that there are plenty of responsibilities that you have to fulfill and, and fulfilling those are, is still the priority, you know? Yep. Studying day and night. (laughs) (laughs) Been there. (laughs) Still there now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. We, we couldn't really end this episode about without speaking about you personally. Um, I know this year has been a difficult one with the COVID-19 pandemic and we've all, found our own personal ways to take mental breaks and hopefully indulge in some hobbies. So what have been some personal hobbies of yours that have been kind of keeping you trucking along throughout this past year? Oh my goodness. I mean, usually if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would be out and about exploring the city. But I think that fortunately for me, because of my love for social media, I think I um, will still, you know, go on YouTube and watch what other people are doing and, and still ha- find that human connection in that way. I think that that's ultimately what a lot of us are craving is human connection. And, um, and this year has obviously made that very difficult. Um, so, I mean, I think that that has really helped out the people at work. I think we all commiserate about the situation and, um, and yeah, that's really like really how I've been able to keep, keep my head above water um, for most of the year. And, and, you know, I often imagine what it would have been like without social media, quite honestly, when I was in high school, my senior year SARS hit and I was in Taiwan when it happened. So especially like early on in the pandemic, I, it was a very similar kind of situation. And I thought, gosh, back then we barely had any sort of social media. So how, especially with this dragging on for as long as it has, as long as it's been, how would I have gotten through all of that without 
had an op if, if it wasn't 2021. So I'm glad that we have these formats now to be able to connect. And, um, and of course, you know, connecting and watching is one thing, but I've also been able to, you know, chat with people and, and, you know, develop friendships and whatnot through social media, actually through TikTok this past year, there've been some really cool friendships with people outside of medicine. And I don't know, I don't think a lot of people realize that, but I've been able to, you know, meet some really awesome people who have nothing to do with our field, who also found me on TikTok. And many of them are content creators and um, in their own, you know, areas of um, expertise and interests. And, um, and so that's been really awesome. Yeah, I personally, even without a pandemic, love living vicariously through people. Like, you know, they talk about having FOMO, none of that for me. I'm like, yeah, show me all your vacation pictures. Let me pretend (laughs) and envision I am there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I do the same thing. You know, I go on like Architectural Digest's YouTube channel and I watch all the home tours. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I found what you said just so funny because I remember I was scrolling through TikTok and I was like, oh, Dr. Chang's talking about Jojo Siwa. Yeah. I have not developed that friendship She's <laughs> for me, but there have been several others who I think have just been awesome. And it's just really interesting how these connections come about. You know, I um, had conversations with, uh, you know, random actresses and actors and comedians. And um, I mean, some of them are just pretty, you know, superficial, but it's still, it's, it's cool. And um and, and sometimes it's just people who I've always wanted to meet that I've never gotten to and suddenly have an uh, opportunity to. And, and that's been really cool. I definitely have felt somewhat similar with this podcast because we're doing social media medicine and I see so many influencers on my TikTok, on my Instagram. And now that we're reaching out to them and some of them are like yourself are saying, yes, it's, I sit here and I, I do a little, whoo. It's a little starstruck. <laughs> a little, a little starstruck oh, a little bit. It's awesome. I and mean, it's funny because like you mentioned, Eric Burnett was on here before and he and I didn't overlap, but we kind of, we both were at the same training program at one point. What? At Columbia. Um, so I knew of him and I think he knew of me, but in any case, TikTok brought us together. And, you know, he's doing great things on that platform as well and, and so many others. But yeah, it's, you just never know. You never know. Such a small world. Yeah. I guess the last question about yourself a little bit is with hope on the horizon, we have a more normal future with maybe vaccines. And I guess now, what are some of the hopes and goals you have for the rest of 2021 and moving into 2022? Ooh, um, gosh, I think that. I think that there are, there's a lot on the horizon that I'm entertaining right now. Not everything I can talk about yet, but I think that there are some exciting things coming my way. And um, so I've been able to maintain a certain degree of optimism, knowing that there are some changes and interesting things, you know, in my future. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a a lot of it it has to still do with um, exploring, you know, the social media world and, um, and also just, you know, further developing my niche clinical area and exploring the innovations there. So um, I'll keep you posted on all that. I was going to say, so what you're saying is that we need to invite you for a follow-up podcast in the near future. You know, that might be in order. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. Um, Do you have any parting words of advice for early trainees? 
you know, I think just enjoy the process. I know it's so cliche. And for me, I think that uh, when I was going through the entire however many years of training, I now that I look back, it's easy for me to say that I overthought it a bit, but but I really did. <laughs> and, you know, everything will work out. I know that that's so cliche, but um, but really just take it one step at a time. Because if you think too many steps ahead, I'm not, I was always never a believer in that whole, like having a 10 year plan idea. I always like to, to keep an open mind because you just never know what opportunities will show up and the social take social media, for instance, you know, on the theme of today's discussion, this was never meant to be a part of my career and somehow it has. And I think it, if it wasn't for just keeping that door open, you know, I, I'm, glad I didn't just kind of throw it away. And and yeah, you just never know. Times will change. And you just, if you can imagine where you'll be in 10 years, who knows what the next frontier is going to be. It could be something that we totally unrelated to medicine that will kind of find its way and start intersecting with it. And you might find yourself right at that intersection. And, um, and that's what is so great about medicine is that it's applicable in so many different ways. So you just never know. And I've seen that play out actually outside of social media, just with a lot of my colleagues in terms of like former med school classmates or co-residents. Some of them have combined, you know, I always use one of my co-residents as an example. She was an architect before going into medicine. She went through her training, then decided that, you know, clinical practice wasn't always, you know, what she had in mind. So she combined her two interests and now she's out there designing hospitals. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah. So you just never know. And, um, and there are other kind of interesting stories among my colleagues that have totally convinced me that there's just an endless number of possibilities, um, with this. So uh, you can think outside of the box, you can keep your options open. Um, and you know, don't get too, caught up in like what's super ahead of you. I think just getting to the next step and just figuring that out is, is the way to go. Well, thank you again, Dr. Chang, for your time. Where can our listeners go to support you and your content? Uh, my handle is Austin Chang MD, and uh, it's the same everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Clubhouse. I don't <laughs> know. I'm trying to remember all of them. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to, to find on the internet. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.